0: I think it helped to, you know, practice with varying degrees of stability of discs and you know, not just a lot of people feel like the best way to practice and you hear it time and time again is like, you know, get 10 of the same disc and practice over and over and do that. But my philosophy is pretty much the opposite of most people where I feel like every putt is different, you know, just like riding every wave is different. You know, your stance is never gonna be the same. The wind's never gonna be the same. You know, there's just thousands of variables that are changing all the time. So the owner of the town wanted to do something for me. And since the disc golf tournament was in town, he uh, he arranged to have me dropped off at the tournament in a helicopter. I've been saying it for about, eight, about two years now. I don't think we should be allowed to jump putt in circle two. What's up everybody? Thanks for tuning in matt bell here with the
1: chain clankers podcast what is going on everyone welcome back to another episode of the chain clankers podcast we have a really good episode today we get into some some sweet topics uh we got to talk with matt bell and quentin tell us what we talked about today
2: yeah, today is going to be the episode for you if you want to get better at putting. I know we've said that a couple of times, but I I keep asking over on Instagram, you know, what do you guys want to get better at? What what do you feel is suffering in your game right now? And, and consistently, we're hearing a lot of putting. So definitely wanted to have another putting episode out there. And I think this is a putting episode, unlike any of the other ones that we've done before. You're going to hear some tips on this episode that I've never even thought of before and they're really good and and just a little sneak peek there is you know if you if you compare your putting to studying for a test and you're trying to cram before a tournament just like you're trying to cram before an exam might not work out well for you. So we have some methods and some new things you can try out that will improve your putting and allow you to make more of those putts in tournaments, league nights, pressure situations, whatever it is, as well as we do talk a little bit about mentality. We talk about Matt Bell's journey in disc golf, how he got started, how it's going for him right now, as well as his hot take, which might actually surprise you for it being a putting episode. And you want to make sure you stay to the end. I know, I know, I know. I always say, make sure you stay tuned through the end but you want to listen to the story that comes out in this ace round this is literally the craziest story that we have had on this podcast so you want to make sure you listen to that hit that subscribe and follow button now if you haven't already leave a comment on this episode Uh, tell us what your thoughts of these putting tips were maybe the hot take coming up super interested to hear from you guys and without further ado let's go ahead and let's bring Matt on all righty everyone let's welcome on matt bell super excited to have you on the podcast today man how is it going up in the northeast
0: oh not bad not bad as you can tell you know just got my beanie on living the life aquatic growing my beard out for the northeast so ready for winter how long have you been up there now uh since may of 2019
1: yeah,
0: okay. So a quite a
2: bit. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Was so this will there... be my second
0: one? Little...
2: Yeah. I guess kind of going with that. Cause you said, uh, originally you're from California, I believe. So like, was there right. any kind of like culture shock for you going from California all the way up to, you know, New Jersey up there in the frigid cold. <laughs> uh, there is
0: a little bit of a culture shock, but, uh, just, as far as like traveling on the road for the last six years, you know, I've, I've been experiencing it all and I've spent plenty of time up here. So I did know what I was getting into before I moved here, having uh, toured the last half of the year in the northeast.
1: Yeah. Do you like the you say you're kind of getting used to the cold up there? Do you like it, though? It's different, different experience for sure. I feel like some people thrive in the cold weather. Yeah.
0: I mean, I prior to this, I'd only spent like one Winter up in the Sierras up at Donner Summit, which is up at like 7,000 feet. So that was quite the experience. And yeah, living anywhere where it gets cold, you know, below freezing, it's quite the experience. And it takes some getting used to, but definitely like it. It's good for the body, you know,
2: for sure. So, How is the uh, disc golf scene out there?
0: It's huge, man. People are crazy. They play in all kinds of weather out here. They are not fair weather golfers. They're addicted golfers, and they don't let anything stop them. And uh, the scene is huge. There's courses everywhere. Um, You know, clubs are really serious and all kinds of team challenges happening. Seems like every weekend. So plenty of stuff to do.
1: I know we've talked about a little bit in the past. I don't remember who it was, but it was someone from one of the coasts. But, I mean, you being from California, moving out there, do you see a different kind of style in disc golf from the two?
0: Um, a little bit, you know, there's definitely a hotbed of really good disc golfers up in uh, Northern California. And, uh, you know, I feel like that talent level um, kind of just kept passing down from generation to generation to where you got a bunch of really good disc golfers. And, uh, you know, in the Northeast, there's just a lot of new players. So you don't necessarily have that like small tight-knit group of people that are really really good you have a lot of a lot of new players and a lot of clubs with amateurs Uh, but the passion for the game you know is the same everywhere so
2: yeah that's pretty exciting and i mean this is definitely the podcast for them if they're not listening to it yet they better get on the train because this is the number (laughs) one podcast for the amateur newer players being able to improve your game, lower your score, all those kinds of things. And, you know, thankfully we've got you on the show today to be able to help some of those folk do that. We're going to be talking a little bit of putting and mental game here in a little bit, but let's kind of start this show off, Matt. How did you first find disc golf?
0: Um, I was playing, uh, playing catch with a friend of mine with a frisbee and uh, he was really impressed with the way I was returning the frisbee to him. And He asked me if I'd ever played disc golf and uh, I hadn't so he took me up to De La Viega the next day which is uh, in Santa Cruz and that was in August of 09 and I've played pretty much every day since then so that was the that was the start of it right there.
1: Were you pretty good? How was your first round?
0: Uh, It wasn't bad. Um, I was able to throw the disc you know a little bit over 350 kind of right around there comfortably. And, um, you know, semi accurately, I was getting some pars out of day law my first day, not many, but got a few and, uh, yeah, I improved from there just, uh, having grown up throwing Frisbees my whole life, not competitively, but just with friends, uh, you know, competitive catch basically. Um, I, I had a pretty good understanding of, of how they flew before playing disc golf.
2: Did you have any ultimate background or was it just playing catch kind of understanding how the flight of a disc works?
0: Yeah just playing catch and you know all my buddies we're all athletes and we're all really competitive so even something simple as throwing frisbee turned into a competition quickly so you know just doing that for years uh, kind of cemented that and
1: and so what did those first couple of years look like? You know, in online you just kept playing for fun or did you start training, practicing pretty soon after that?
0: Um, well, pretty much I would say I was a sole discer, much like I was a sole surfer where I'd just go out and surf all day. I went out and played disc golf all day by myself. Didn't know anything about tournaments for a couple of years um, and just self-taught and got to where I was shooting Pretty close to scratch golf at Daylaw, which is one of the harder courses, you know, in the world, if you don't know what you're doing. Um, So I got pretty good before I even found out about tournament scenes. And then once I found out about those, uh, I was in kind of all in right away.
2: Yeah, definitely. De Law is such an interesting course for your first ever course and really just starting out playing disc golf there. You see it on coverage dang near every single year, and it just looks like an absolute beast and a monster and just so difficult. So that's really impressive to be able in a couple of years, you know, everything self-taught, being able to get to that scratch disc golf and get some birdies here and there and playing well. So take me through the process of, you know, you're out there every single day. How do you then stumble upon finding out about tournaments and the competitive side of disc golf? And was it an immediate, like, yes, I'm in, I want to do this.
0: Uh, Yeah, it was actually when pro worlds was coming around and I was finding out, finding out they were shutting down uh, my course. I played at every day for, for the world championships. I ended up volunteering and, and spotting on whole 12 at day and got to see pretty much everybody come through that year and play. And, um, so I was pretty much after that, I was like, all right, how do I, how do I start competing? And got my uh, PDGA number shortly after that and started playing tournaments.
1: What was the, ex- you know, volunteering, what was the experience like seeing professionals You know, you played by yourselves and I ever seeing like the best in the world. What was that like?
0: Well, the hole I was spotting on, hole 12, most of the pros were throwing it out of sight around the corner, so I didn't really get to see too many shots that kind of blew me away because I couldn't really see them finishing too well, uh, from start to finish at least. Um, But what really impressed me was the senior legends when they came around, and uh, I'll definitely remember uh, seeing Stancil Johnson and those guys throw, you know, they couldn't throw it more than... 150 feet really and uh they were playing each shot out and uh it was pretty competitive with those guys even though they weren't throwing it very far and they all made their putts for like the three holes i watched them play everybody made their putts and that was kind of the most impressive thing to me that stood out
2: yeah so Finding out about tournaments, and I think you kind of had already touched on this a little bit, kind of came, uh, I feel like a lot of people have this happen to them, you know, get really addicted, wanting to play a whole lot of tournaments in that time frame of playing in a ton of tournaments. Was there ever the moment of, Hey, I'm going to go to YouTube and start maybe learning from these people or talking to pros. Was anyone like kind of helping you improve? How, how were you able to keep a benchmark of your improvement? Was it just based off a of finish at the tournaments?
0: Um, I think it was based off, um, you know, me realizing what my potential could be kind of early on, even before, before tournaments. Um, and so once I did find out about the tournament scene, I did watch some coverage for a time period when I played like half a season as an amateur. But then once I kind of started to go pro and win open tournaments and stuff, I I kind of focused more on just playing a lot and gaining as as much experience as I could on the field in tournaments. And so that was kind of my strategy was just play every day, play as much as I could, and uh, take it from there.
1: Were you – you know, in the beginning, were you a pretty well-rounded player or was there something in your game that kind of gave you an advantage, you know, like distance or your putting was really good?
0: I, uh, I got good at putting – um pretty early on so that was definitely something um i rode for a long time and still riding the putting train so it's definitely carried me throughout my career and helped me get a lot of a lot of early wins make some you know make one extra putt per round and if it's a three-round tournament you could end up winning by three if you hang in there so that was that was kind of what got me a lot of my early wins in the open division
2: yeah. And I mean, we've said it before on this show countless times, especially for those for every player, but for I feel like the amateur players the most, it's really that putting that can separate you from your competition. If you're able to knock down that 25, 30 footer consistently and hit a couple of putts from circle two, that just makes you so much more deadly. And you can expand that landing zone circle of being able to score birdies, being able to save pars, those kinds of things. Where if you know you have to be within side 10, eight feet to be able to make that putt that's going to hurt your scoring opportunities. So that's really interesting to hear you say, and was your, were you always a good putter? Like, did you, how much did you have to work on putting to get really good?
0: You know, it' something I worked on a lot. I definitely put in a lot of hours, um, you know, and most of the time, um, it wasn't as constructive as it could be, but, you know that's just kind of the learning process, especially when you're self-teaching. Um, but I went through trial and hour, error and um, hours and hours of practice to to get better at practicing it was a big was a big thing that helped me get to the next level. Time and time again, was getting better at how to practice efficiently. And I have to give a lot of credit too to Greg Barsby because he's who actually took me out on tour in 2015 and we toured for several years together and spent a lot of time working with each other keeping our putts up making sure we're we're getting better and not you know you definitely don't want to get complacent with putting because you can lose it really quick so definitely got to stay on it
1: Well, we're on the subject of putting, let's let's talk about that for a little bit. So, I mean, besides practice, you know, obviously practice, practice, practice is going to help people improve. Um, What were some of the things that helped you the most in your putting game?
0: I think it helped to, you know, practice with um, varying degrees of stability of discs and, you know, not just a lot of people feel like the best way to practice and you hear it time and time again is like, You know, get 10 of the same disc and practice over and over and do that. But my philosophy is pretty much the opposite of most people, where I feel like every putt is different. You know, just like riding every wave is different. You know, your stance is never going to be the same. The wind's never going to be the same. You know, there's just thousands of variables that are, you know, changing all the time. So, you know, repetition is good to a certain point, but you know, creativity, I feel like on the putting green is the most important. So just treating every putt uniquely and differently and situationally. And something I do that is, is practicing with a bunch of different putters and being able to adjust and make little slight adjustments and still be effective. And, uh, that translates to the course, I think a lot more than just trying to do the same thing. And that's the only way you're practicing.
2: Yeah. so uh, sorry so I I guess that kind of leads me to the question of you I, I think I'm following you here where it's better to like move around try to throw a different shot every single time you putt. maybe you're only putting one time instead of standing there with a stack of discs and just going at it going at it going at it so is there any good like practice like I don't know like drills or something that you're doing with that? Like, let's say you've got five different putters. Are they just randomly scattered around the basket or how, how do you kind of go through that process?
0: Um, I like, I like to change it up. I don't really feel like I need to stick to any one routine. Um, cause then if I feel like I don't do that routine, maybe it's going to throw my game off. So don't really have a set routine that I feel like I have to stick to. Um, you know, I tried, I got really good at putting, you know, in obstructed stances and out of bushes and stuff. But when it comes on to to tour, then you're just practicing like wide open 25 footers because that's what wins tournaments. That's what, you know, going to get you far on tour is just being able to make, make them basically, like you said, the 25 and 30 footers, but that's not practical for like your average day golfer they're going to be faced with you know a lot more putts from distance than a top player so you know you can practice those wide open 25 footers and repeat that all day but that might not translate to everybody's game it doesn't translate to most people most people are you know keep getting themselves stuck out at 30 35 feet in awkward situations and if you get good at those then you know, you're going to talk it down at that point.
1: So, you know, it's good, you know, to be good at putting and then, you know, practicing, you can get better, but do you ever feel like you struggle with, you know, plateauing and feeling like you're not, not getting better at putting or where you become stagnant and maybe the putter doesn't feel as good as you were. And what do you do to kind of give you that either confidence or that ex- advantage back in your putting, if that does happen? yeah
0: um i'd say there was a time you know after four or five years of being a good putter where you know i got good by making it as complicated as i could and trying to dissect everything and uh, that got me really good but then you know sometimes i wasn't working and i actually found myself going back to a point where i was able to completely simplify putting to where it's not complicated and, you know, go back to kind of the core principles of, of why I structured my putt the way I did. And oftentimes from your amateur, even to some of the top pros that I've helped with their putting, when things are going wrong, you're often times thinking that you're not doing enough and you need to do more because it's not working when in fact the opposite is the case most of the time to where, you're doing too much and you need to back off and go back to the basics. And so anytime I miss a putt, next time I'm up there, it is absolute basics and then starting over.
2: And when Uh you're saying basics and like the way that you physically putt, what do you mean by that?
0: Um, Well, I have a lot of, well, a few things that I go back to and, uh, basically it's the way I naturally hold a disc in my hand without thinking about it. My preferred putting angle. It's not, it's not something that's not going to be natural for me. And, you know, sometimes I will change that up in a tournament, but then if it's not working, I can go back to where, okay, this is naturally how I hold it. So I don't even have to think about that depending on how far away I am. I think about the spin rotation, how many discs, how many rotations are coming out of the hand. I have little rules for distances as far as how big the pocket is, which is like the power pocket for the putt. You know, I may only allow myself a couple inches one way or another from certain distances. And uh, I don't want to get into too details, you know, too fine a detail about it, but uh, I basically have some principles that I can fall back on that are my basics for when things aren't going right. and. you know that works for me. It's worked for people that I've taught it to. It's something I teach in my lessons and uh, clinics I've been doing for the last couple of years, and it's changed people's lives, for sure. Yeah, you
1: know, I feel like that makes a lot of sense, and it's going to be. There's no point in us really asking you specifically what yours are because I feel like they're going to be different for every single person. Um, I agree. Yeah. And. It's. I feel like it's something that you know when you're in a tournament or you're in a position where you're under stress or maybe you're not having a good round, or you feel like you're putting us off. These basics are what someone can just calm down, think about like when they're doing doing it during their practice round or whatever, and basically focus on that to uh, try to step away from whatever pressure situation they're in, or like you're saying, just going back to the basics. That way, there's less going on in the head and the only thing you're thinking about are the things that, you know, should put the putter in the basket.
0: Exactly, Horatio, you're onto it. And, uh, the best advice I could give for putting is when you're practicing practice without the basket and practice controlling that putter all the way to the ground for a full flight. Cause most people, when they're practicing, and I did it for years, you're target orientated and you might be a little tense, and giving it little half goes instead of doing a full putt, just like a full throw. And it's really hard to do when you're target oriented. You take that basket away and you naturally send that putter through the air, 10, 25, 30 feet, it doesn't have to be very far and just get that natural motion of what you're naturally gonna do to get that putter through space and time and then apply that to the target because what you're naturally gonna do isn't going to break down in a pressure situation. If you're trying to emulate something or somebody, that's going to break down a lot quicker in a pressure situation than what you naturally would do, so you don't have to think about it.
2: I think that's really good advice. I've never, never even thought about that before, but that does make a lot of sense. If you're just trying to control the flight of the disc and if you're just putting without a target, you're able to just naturally putt and it takes away that tenseness. It takes away that pressure. That is such a good tip. Wow, that I yeah, that yeah, really brilliant. spoke to me, man. That was awesome. So I, I will make the I kinda, easiest twenty-five footer of your life after doing that. I guarantee it. So that kind of leads me to: if that's such a good thing, is that something that I should maybe start before my round or before my practice putting? Should I just start by doing I don't know ten, fifteen? Just you know five from each distance of just practicing my regular form of putting or is that just kind of something you do when you're not feeling good with that's all gear? i've been doing for the last
0: few... no that's all that's all i've been doing for the last few years i rarely practice on a basket anymore i'll only do it a few times um you know i have my set distances that i do it at and you know i'll just do that a f- a, a few times if it's windy i'll do it a few times in each wind direction if it's not windy i'll only just do it a few times and then and then that's it i might take one or two putts on the basket from close but i really like to let my my first couple of putts of the round kind of build into how my putting is gonna is gonna go and i don't that way i'm not letting my practice putting affect my round because I mean, how many times you make all your practice putts and then don't make any in the round. So I've eliminated that out to where, you know, it's just less going on, less thoughts in the head. If it feels good, you don't need to change it. It's like trying to cram before an exam. If you're not ready, you're not ready, you know? So if you're feeling good and confident, stick with that, don't change it and carry that confidence into the round. Cool. I love it. You
1: know, I think that's, Unless you got more, I think that's pretty good on, on putting. I want to get moving here. Uh, tell us a little bit about those first couple years on tour with, uh, Barsby. What was that like? And kind of tell us a little bit about what it compares to maybe nowadays, but. You
0: know, Barsby has been traveling on tour more than, more than most people on tour. Uh, he's been doing it since he was like 14 or 15 years old, traveling the country with people. So, um, he knew a lot of people in every town, so that was always nice. We were always taken care of and, and didn't have to worry about that. And uh, he's definitely a, a champion of the people for the people. And everywhere we went, you know, we made it he made it a point that we're gonna usually be there first and usually leaving last and hanging out with whoever was there, the locals, the local club, getting to know the guys and really making connections with people because that was just as important to him as winning his world championship was, you know, making those real connections with people and having as full of an experience you can, you know, for one weekend in the town and uh, really make the most of it. And I can't thank him enough for that experience. And, you know, I've tried to carry that on through my touring these last few years by myself and you know we're all still there hanging out at every tournament and get to see each other every weekend all the guys so uh it's really it's really changed in that there's just more people on tour and uh we're having more fun so
2: i hate to be the one who asks this question but what what was it that made you guys stop touring because you said that you uh you tour by yourself now right yeah was it just a hey we're gonna go our own separate ways or uh what what happened there
0: uh, and there was no falling out or anything. It was That's just, uh, you know, just us having to find our own way and, you know, can't tour together forever.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I feel like a lot of players end up kind of doing their own own tour schedule based on kind of what they like or the season for different yeah. reasons or whatnot.
0: Yeah, we had to grow up eventually. You know, we both got girlfriends now and he's got a house, so the yeah. fun's over
1: Ad- adulting now that's what it sounds like <laughs> yeah And so what's what's touring like now so is it you and your girlfriend or just you kind of on tour Does she go out there with you
0: uh she made it to most of the east coast tournaments last year uh towards the end and then uh every few weeks she'd fly out and spend a weekend with me or i'd fly home for the weekend when i had a week off so we got to see each other quite a bit and it worked out just fine
2: that's really good. I, I can only imagine that kind of gives you a little bit of extra motivation out there on the course, being able to see your girlfriend. And do you, do you ever find yourself playing better on those weekends that she's there watching?
0: Uh, Well, the first two weekends we hung out, I won back to back eight tiers, So I felt like that was a good start. And uh, yeah, I did. I, I play good. I don't play bad with my girlfriend around. So that's good. <laughs> she's a really good putter. So when nice. she's around, you know, I got to be on point and make my putts. So she does help me focus and stay calm out there.
1: And so when you go on tour, are you out on a van? Are you doing that? Um, I've done a little bit of
0: everything over the years, trains, planes, and automobiles, um, RVs and fifth wheels. Um, the last couple of years I've just been doing it out of uh, a Volkswagen Passat wagon nice yeah that's uh
1: you know that's something that's kind of interesting i've always wondered, you know by default a lot of you know disc golfers that go on tour like you're kind of forced to become a van lifer whether you kind of like it or not i feel like most of them end up enjoying it but i feel like there's got to be some that don't care for the van life but kind of have to do it
0: it's possible um you know i'm sure we'd all like to be in a class rvs but
2: yeah
0: the van life is perfect for now and perfect for what we do so you know most like like you said most people enjoy it so it's not a bad way to travel
2: yeah that's good and you can take the the van probably a little bit easier to wherever you want to go instead of that massive rv i I can imagine it's (laughs) a little bit harder to maneuver that thing around every now and then Oh, for sure. So moving forward here, you know, been in the game for quite a while now, what are kind of your goals for disc golf moving forward? What, what more do you want to accomplish in the sport?
0: I feel like I've been biding my time a little bit, gaining experience and uh, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, using my, I am a veteran in the game now, so I got to use those wits and, continue to get better. You know, if you just look solely at the numbers, um, I've continued to get better each season and more consistent. And I plan on continuing that trend for several years.
1: What are you so, looking forward to the most this next season?
0: Uh, it'd be nice to get another big win. Definitely. You know, that's the focus for me. Um, I wouldn't be out there if I didn't think I had a chance to win. And so that's, pretty much what I focus on and you know I'm going to put in maximum effort this year and see how it goes.
2: Nice and I think we were kind of talking about it a little bit before we started recording you're moving away from DGA into OTP discs I imagine that kind of opens you up to being able to use a lot more discs is there anything exciting challenging how are you feeling about that process?
0: Uh, well, they're not going to be like my main title sponsor. Um, they do support me and they will continue to be on board with me um moving forward. but I still have um some other sponsorship deals that I'm tightening up and should be able to announce hopefully in the next couple of weeks.
2: Oof. we can't wait to so. hear it. we we want we want know because you know we we're big <laughs> fans of you we want to support you in whatever way that we can. Uh, definitely looking forward to hearing that and can't wait to find out about that deal, but I think it's time that we kind of move forward here a little bit. We don't want to take up your whole night. So let's get to the disc golf hot take segment. So Matt, what is your disc golf hot take?
0: Oh boy. I have a few, but I don't know if I want to put them out there. Uh, (laughs) if, if I had to pick one though, I've been saying it for about eight, about two years now. I don't think we should be allowed to jump putt in circle two. There we go. Comment section's blowing up.
2: Yeah, <laughs> as I'm blowing up over here. When I read that, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, gosh, as somebody who is, uh, I won't say mastered, but is definitely a big fan of the old step putt in circle two. I was like, ah, oh, I got I to hear the reasoning behind this one.
0: You know, jump putting is just too easy for the top guys. And also with, you know, all sorts of video coverage available now, um, you know, it's fairly obvious that foot faults do happen and they're missed oftentimes because you can't tell in real time. It's really hard to make the right call. I hate to see it happen, but it does happen. And I think the best solution is, we have the circle two very well established. <clears throat> so just move it back to where you can't jump inside circle two and it will add a challenge to the game. It won't be as
1: easy. So I think that's a good thing. So, I mean, As well as being more fair for everyone. So technically would we just get rid of circle one? There would be no more circle one. Circle two would just become circle one, I guess.
0: I think and you then, could keep it there for the stats. I think I think the stats are really cool, and uh, <clears throat> I don't think that needs to change.
1: Yeah, because I definitely agree with, you know, the top pros. Like, <laughs> they just eat up circle one, and especially circle two, like step puts and jump puts. They just eat those things up. It's like if they were in circle one, and it's like <laughs> what's the point?
0: Right. I mean, it's almost easier now outside – circle one than an edge of circle one, you know?
2: Yeah, and I mean, I've been saying it on this show for quite a while. I'd rather take a 35-footer over a 30-footer any day of the week because I just feel more confident at 35 because I can do the step-putt instead of just having to stand there. So, And then if you
0: can't, it makes it's going to make the game a lot harder and you'll see um, who the real better putters are at that point, I think.
2: Yeah, I I like it. I definitely uh, personally would hate that for me because I I would struggle, but also the point of things like this is to, you know, explore those new ideas, open your, your, your mind up. And if that went away, well, cool. Then you just have something else to go out and work on. And you have to be able to get stronger in order to make those putts from further out. So that was a pretty good first. If the PDGA gets it together, they will change it. And, uh, they might as well do it now because disc golf is blowing up true keyword if in that sentence keyword if if the pdga can get it together hopefully i think we're moving in the right direction but we will definitely see I, i think we are i think sounds like it so yeah all right guys let's get into the ace round these are the same five questions that we ask all of our guests and just like to pick their brain see kind of what their thoughts are maybe you can take something away from this and maybe we'll even hear a fun story along the way so horatio why don't you start us off with the first question Yep. So you're
1: taking a buddy out, you know, you play their first round with them and they want to buy their first set of discs, putter, fairway, uh, or mid and driver. What three discs would you recommend them buy?
0: Ooh, um, I would have to say going with probably the flippiest discs they could find available because it's going to teach you how to throw a full flight right away. We got too many victims of modern stability out here in the game. So flippy, and you learn how to do that, then you can learn how to how to really throw a disc. But now, you know, this is so overstable, you don't need to do that anymore until you need to. And then if you don't have it, that's that's what's missing out of most people's game today. So um, I think doing that first is going to be the most important thing. It's like you know, turning the sensitivity up on a video game controller. You know, you turn that sensitivity all the way up. It's going to be difficult. But then once you stable up, you're going to have a much better understanding of the game and it's going to be easier for you.
2: I think that's a really yeah. good shot. I've never, I've never heard that analogy before, but that, that makes sense. I like that one. So the second question we have for you is what is the favorite course you have played and one course you would love to play in the future?
0: Well, my favorite course that I've played is up in Tony Tony's Mountain. It's in Nevada County, up in uh, Gold Country of Northern California. And uh, think Northwood Black with, like, extreme elevation change. Oh, wow. And, uh, and that's Tony's Mountain. It's the toughest course in the world. Only two people have ever shot under par there. Um, I was going
1: to say, it sounds awful.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a hike. Yeah. An all-day ordeal up there on the mountains, twenty-seven holes. Nico and I are the only two people who have shot under par in tournament there. And then the course I want to play uh, the most probably be Yarva. Get across the pond, which uh, I plan on doing this next season, and so maybe I'll be able to sneak in around to Yarva while I'm out there.
1: Yeah, I'm hyped for this coming up season for that reason to see some action, you know, over in Europe and stuff and more mixed tournaments i guess you know players from a little bit more variety hopefully that'll be fun
0: yeah i think we're going to get a lot of u.s golfers out there this next season so that'll be awesome
1: all right next one we got here is one tip you would give to yourself who just started playing disc golf
0: um the one tip i give myself uh wear more sunscreen and uh drink water but you know sunscreen's most important thing you've been hearing it your whole life. Where yeah. your sunscreen. <laughs> you know, just protect yourself from the elements too. And, uh, you know, ticks and Lyme disease is a big thing in our sport. So make sure you're always doing a tick check, you know, wear the proper clothing to avoid those.
2: Yeah. Big facts on that tick check. I think we've been playing for what two and a half ish years ratio. I lose count. It hasn't even been that long. And, uh, I think for me, I had not had a single tick until like last summer and my buddy who had probably only played with me one or two times. And I kind of got him to come out with me pretty consistently. He found a tick on him like four or five times in a row. And after that, like my legs, I, I, I just felt like something was crawling on my legs the whole time. <laughs> and then I finally oh, yeah. found a couple on myself. And ever since then, I was like, I cannot wait for the fall to come back. Let it get a little cool. These things go away. Um, but that, that's a very good shot. That's something that I don't think a lot of people think about, but, uh, it ruined the rest of my round. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: And just be mindful too, when you're playing shots out of the bushes or going to reach in and pick up a disc, I know several people that have been bitten by venomous snakes in the last couple seasons. And as we get more people out there playing, you know, that's probably going to happen more often. So just definitely be aware of your surroundings out there. It's, it's not always a friendly environment. so.
2: Yeah, that is true. We are quite literally in the wild, pretty much, especially yes. in those wooded courses. <laughs> you are quite literally in the middle of the woods. And I think it's kind of, you know, you're like, oh, I'm playing disc golf, everything's fine. And then you look around. I know there's one course here in town. You look around, there's just massive spider webs everywhere. And uh, <laughs> if I don't care about that disc and it's in there, it is the spider's disc at that point. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll keep moving here. So our fourth question we got for you: What is your favorite memory playing disc golf?
0: Man, it'd be hard to pick one. I've been I've been traveling all over and had some some pretty good adventures, but definitely one that uh, that sticks out amongst the majority would be uh, back in 2019. I want to say it was. Right after Master's Cup, a bunch of us headed up to a very rural part of Northern California. Uh, This is in the Salmon River, Russian Wilderness area, and very remote. Like, the closest store is over 40 minutes away, and uh, you're in a canyon pretty isolated from the world, basically. And I was out there a couple days prior to the event, so I was the only one in town. And town consists of like a bar and a campground and a disc golf course. There's a few families out there. So I'm hanging in the bar with the owner of the town and one of his buddies, a local. And someone comes in and says there's a bunch of people trapped on the river down south because we just had a a huge, there was a huge winter in 2018, 2019, a huge, a huge winter. So there's a lot of snowpack. This was in May, early May. So that snow was melting. The river was very swollen, and there was about eight Boston College students who went on a 10-day backpacking trip, and seven of them were green. It was their first time backpacking. Only one of them had done it before, but not in that area. Um, They ended up getting off course because of snowpack and got stuck on the river for a full day and a half. One of them actually swam across the river and barely made it because the water's freezing and is moving really fast. So he went and got help. Nobody could help him. There's no swift water rescue. The fire department's not trained for that. The sheriff's department's not trained for that. Um, you know, short of getting a helicopter with a swift water rescue team from, you know, Humboldt or Shasta, you know, was probably days away from happening if they wanted to organize that. So I was pretty much their best shot. I just bought an inflatable kayak and volunteered myself to go down there. And I grew up on rivers. I'm pretty experienced with them. Um, never done anything like that before, but with my knowledge, having grown up on a river and my surfing background, I was able to, to ferry everyone across and you know get up river as far as I can, shoot down to them, shoot them across. Uh, Thankfully, nothing went wrong, but it was definitely a situation where if one thing goes wrong, it could have been a really bad day. So thankfully, nothing went wrong. I was able to ferry them across one at a time. Even went back for all their packs, which I had to do one at a time. They had 75 pound packs with boots and crampons on there. So I had to do those one at a time. Um, And how this is disc golf related was when I got back into town, Um, I learned the other guy in the bar was a swift water rescue guy for almost 20 years. And he wasn't going to go down there because he knew how dangerous it was. And yeah. um, So he was telling the owner of the town, you know, where I did it. He knew exactly where I did it at. And, uh, he was thoroughly impressed and he wasn't about to do it himself. And that's what he did for a living. So that just tells you how dangerous the situation was. So the owner of the town wanted to do something for me. And since the disc golf tournament was in town, he uh, he arranged to have me dropped off at the tournament in a helicopter. So I got picked up uh, Friday morning, or Saturday morning, uh, like 6.30, went for a little helicopter ride, and then he dropped me off at my starting hole on hole 15, I want to say it was. While everyone's out waiting for the tournament to start, everyone walks out just walk and says, them, start. They're all standing around and no one's blowing the horn. And so they're wondering what's going on. And then all of a sudden, uh, we come in on the chopper and I, he has me throw some discs out of there to warm up and then drops me off in my starting hole. And man, it doesn't get better than
1: that. Yeah, no, that's really, really cool. I mean, not just the fact that, you know, saved all those kids, but just that experience. I mean, I don't know who i would have expected coming off the chopper but that'd be really sweet yeah and so like is the the town named after you i feel like after that they have to like name the town after you or or the bar at least
0: um i am actually also the the uh unofficial uh marshal in the town (laughs) because a couple years prior uh we had to hold a fugitive at gunpoint that was uh in the town But that's a different
2: story. So, I mean, I've got so many different emotions from that story. A, very impressive. B, I couldn't have done it. C, went back for the gear. That's even more impressive. You said, I got all of you now. Watch me go get your stuff for you. Uh, Yeah, that is so crazy. And then uh, I just hope you had a good round because I would have been personally embarrassed if I got dropped off by a helicopter and then just played like trash.
0: No, I had a good battle with Conrad that weekend. Um, I committed to putting with the glow fly all weekend and, and was able to stay close to him while he was shooting fire and uh, made it a little battle for him here and there.
2: Nice. Yeah. That is such, such a crazy story. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you were able to save those folk and we're going to have to have you on another time. So that way we are able to hear this fugitive story because after that one, I am, I'm ready for the next one.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, we can do that.
2: All right. I think last question we got
1: here for you before we get you out of here is: What is the biggest mistake you see new players make? Um, you know, I'd hate
0: to crash on everybody anybody's parade, so I don't really want to call out any like anything uh, in particular. But I just think you know mistakes are a part of the game, as you know they are in life. You know, they're a learning experience. So I think as long as you're Learning from the mistakes you made, you know, um, can you call it a mistake at that point? It's, you know, that's how you learn and get better. And, um, you know, this game emulates life in a lot of ways. And one of the things is making mistakes and you just got to figure out ways to do things better and try and avoid them.
2: That yeah, I think personally, the number one way to avoid those mistakes is make sure you hit that subscribe button right now. So you never miss another episode and you can hear other great interviews uh, like this one. We've got tons of other ones. So definitely make sure you do that. You don't want to miss them. Let us make the mistakes for you. Hear other people's mistakes. Don't be the one who has to make the mistakes. Matt, this was such a fun show. I uh, love talking to you, learning from you. Where can the people connect with you on social media?
0: Uh, you can check me out on
2: Instagram,
0: Matt Bell city, um, Matt Bell city being anywhere outside of circle one, you know, that's where I'm at. You can find me out there and then, uh, you know, check out my website, Matt Bell disc golf, as well as on Facebook and, you know, from my future sponsors, you'll be able to find out stuff from them too.
1: Well, man, well, thank you so much for taking the time we're super excited to hear you know what's coming up for you this next season and we wish you nothing but the best of luck and hopefully get get some more wins this upcoming season.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you Horatio Quentin. It's great to meet you guys and we'll
1: have to do it again.
2: Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode.